0: Very excited today, everybody. We're bringing in Tulsi Gabbard. She and I have been going back and forth for about 18 months trying to figure out how we could organize ourselves to get her on this stream, and we have finally done it. And uh, she is someone I've admired for a long time. She's a person that's difficult not to like. She's a very appealing person with lots of interesting ideas, and I just appreciate the chance to come talk with her, and she's been very kind, and she's taking time away from her family and her vacation to spend a little time with me and with you today, so let's get right to it.
1: is a woman of first. The first American Samoan elected to Congress. The first Hindu and one of the first female combat veterans to ever serve. She's the presidential candidate and Iraq war veteran. I've dedicated my entire adult life to serving our country. Someone who pulls no punches when it comes to speaking her mind. No one else has been as effective at forcing a conversation on the failings and the future of American foreign policy. Why were you the lone voice out there going after the neocons? People in Washington love labels and they've called me a lot of different things over the years. Gabbard's seen as a rebel within her own party. You have faced some really harsh criticism from fellow Democrats. What I care about is the truth and what's right. Just calling it how she sees it.
0: You give me hope that there are politicians that are legitimately in it for the right reason. I want somebody who loves the country. That's
1: Tulsi Gabbard.
0: And that's who we are welcoming to the program right now, Tulsi. Thank you for taking time out to talk to me today. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, thank you, Drew. It's good to talk to you. Good to see you, at least from afar. And I'm so happy, as you said, it's been it's been a little while. We've been going back and forth, but I'm so happy uh, we finally finally doing it.
0: So I, I have a million questions for you. Obviously, Tulsi was in Congress for eight years, uh, 2013 yeah. to 2021. She's active military where she is a lieutenant colonel. The, the intro says pretty much everything I was going to say, but you you're there's things about your life that intrigue me. Um, you're now an independent, right? You're neither Republican nor Democrat. Yes. Is that correct? Yeah. That's I, right. I I'm the same. I I spent a little time as a Republican. Then I was a Democrat for a long time. And then I'm just like, I can't be a part of a party. I I can't do it. And one of our founding fathers' most significant concerns was that faction would tear us apart. I, I, I spent the last couple of days reading a bunch of stuff about the founding fathers and some of their founding principles. I, I, I've been I'm familiar with it, but I was sort of refamiliarizing myself with things. And their fear of parties was really profound. Their fear of fa- faction was profound. They felt like faction was inevitable unless government sort of contained it. And the only way to contain it was with a government that was sort of balanced with lots of checks and balances. But is, is what going i want going to try to figure out what's going on today. I'm hoping you'll help me figure things out. Are, are we being torn apart by faction? Is that what's happening to us? Or is something else going on here?
1: Some of the reasons that I laid out when I announced that I was leaving the Democrat Party have a lot to do with this point. Of, of what exactly is tearing us apart and how the leaders of today's Democrat Party are very, very different from uh, the, the you know, they're, they're representing values and principles that are very different from the values and principles that drew me to choose to become a Democrat 20 years ago uh, when I first ran for state house here in Hawaii. And the problem with today's Democrat Party and many of the reasons that led me to leave had to do with the fact that they are Uh, Tearing us apart, racializing everything, uh, pitting us one against the other, whether it be based on partisanship or race or religion or ethnicity or any of the other labels uh, that are often attached to us. They are pushing these these radical uh, fanatical um, uh, ideologies, essentially, with no respect for or appreciation for our fundamental freedoms, our God-given freedoms that are enshrined in the constitution. Uh, Even worse than that, they are seeking to undermine those fundamental freedoms, not only with their actions and working with big tech and social media, but really when you have people in position of power who don't appreciate the importance of freedom of speech, of having this, this robust marketplace of ideas that our founders envisioned for this country, is they have the ability to politicize public institutions like the Department of Justice and the Department of Homeland Security, uh, you know, Department of Education. You can go down the list of federal agencies that, that have been and are continuing to be politicized to target and go after political opponents or to further divide us. And, and that's really what is, is so dangerous um, with the situation that we're in and with the leadership of today's Democrat Party.
0: I literally though saw somebody tweet today that democracy and freedoms of speech were forget what they said white suprem- white supremacy it was with how they referred to it. It as all white supremacy that these were all ideas that were used as colonializing principles that allowed people with a certain skin color and a certain history to act out on other parts of the world. I, I let me just before I sort of ask you any question about that, I just got back yesterday from Spain and Portugal. If I seem out of it today, it's because I'm jet lagged. I'm traveling twenty hours, and I'm too old to be good doing that, Susan. For, it's good kinda, for you for yeah. even
1: doing this after that long, yes, long trip. Uh,
0: well, we we listen. Like I said, I really look forward to talking to you for a long time, and so I would not have missed this. We really kind of came back to talk to you, frankly. Um, <laughs> but 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 um, but there were two countries, Portugal established the, tr- the slave trade. Spain expanded the slave trade and destroyed an indigenous people of an entire continent with the conquistador. This was Spain and Portugal's history. And yet in both countries, when you go there, they celebrate their country, their history, their heritage, their culture, their art, and they acknowledge that there were some horrible things that happened a thousand years ago, that had nothing to do with the people. And thankfully, that they're grateful that they've got this wonderful culture and, and country that they live in today. Horrible things happened. Don't, you know, I don't in any way want to endorse it. And they can celebrate the world they live in with each other today and disagree exactly. with each other about a lot of stuff. I mean, they just went through, Spain went through a civil war that was held together by a dictator for 50 years. I mean, they and they still can. It's shocking to me how much better behaved, for lack of a better word, that, that I found those two, the citizens of those two countries to be, as it pertained to their politics, yeah. with the most horrific histories in the world. They literally have the worst histories of any countries on earth, and yet they can celebrate themselves and their culture. Is that, are they wrong for doing that? Is that all white supremacy, like these the Twitter followers were saying today, that white supremacy is just what democracy is? Or is there something wrong with us that we cannot talk about our current situation without condemning everything that has led to the present moment?
1: I think that that's exactly the point here is when you have— these these so called woke leaders of the Democratic Party today, who are literally racializing everything, you know, whether you're talking about the First Amendment or the Second Amendment, or as you're saying, democracy as a whole, as as these are these are uh, signs of of the racist past, or these are racist uh, ideas or principles in and of themselves, is just crazy. It's crazy, and it it unfortunately has uh, the negative consequence. I don't even know if they realize. Um, what what they're doing when they are when they are propagating this kind of narrative, it, you know. The, the, I had a conversation with Ira Glasser uh, a couple of weeks ago about the First Amendment, and obviously he was the head of the ACLU for a couple of decades at least, and he was the head of the ACLU in the aftermath of the Skokie, Illinois incident of the ACLU being asked to stand up for and protect the rights of free speech for literally the Nazi party in the United States of America, and their right to express their views in a predominantly, very predominantly Jewish community in Skokie, which also, by the way, was the home of many Holocaust survivors who fled and came to the United States and, and, um, uh, and chose that place to be their homes. Um, he gave such uh, incredible examples that, that he saw throughout his life about how ultimately what it comes down to we talk about freedom of speech is we have to acknowledge that it is a dangerous thing to place the power within the hands of any government official or level of government to decide who gets to be heard and who does not because and he gave many examples but but the point was today you may like the people in charge and say well okay i trust you to decide what speech is acceptable versus what is hate speech or or even what is violent speech um but what about when that those hands of of power uh change you know what about when it turns over to someone else who then may decide you know what you are the one you are the one who should not be heard your voice should not be heard and that's really the danger here that I think, frankly, both sides of the political spectrum sometimes get wrong is too often they're so short-sighted, they say, well, we don't like what this other side is saying and so we wanna silence them or, or we think that this is hate speech or this is offensive speech or, or words are violence and all this other stuff, but they're not thinking about what happens when we give up that, that fundamental right to free speech uh, and put it in the hands of government, then, then we have lost it uh, forever.
0: And that's a perfect sort of segue into Elon Musk and what he's doing on Twitter. I'm curious on yeah. your thoughts on that. It's, it seems like his only like he's restoring everybody, it seems like. And his only um at this point, it seems like the only mm, what threshold uh, to limitation on free speech is incitement to violence or death threats. So the only two things I've seen him say that those will be unacceptable on the platform. Is that the right place to draw the line? And if so, why are, and I really don't understand this, why are people freaking out about it?
1: Yeah, Uh, I I saw something, I think uh, last night I was reading something where he may have added illegal, something that's illegal. Maybe that falls under that category as well, I'm not sure. but I know that um, the child porn
0: and the child trafficking and all that is in there too, so that makes sense. Exactly,
1: exactly. Um, it, It really boggles my mind actually to see who's freaking out and you see the kind of like posturing or what they call virtue signaling uh, as this whole thing plays out. I laughed. Was it CBS said like, oh, we're going to leave Twitter and less than 24 uh, hours later, they're like, actually, no, we're yeah. not. We're still here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I, I'm curious to see as this plays out, how many of these other people who have left Twitter uh, or announced that they're leaving Twitter end up coming back because they recognize, look, this is a platform. It's a platform. And it seems like that's Elon's intent seems to be very good in in carrying out um, that intent. This is a platform, it is an open marketplace of ideas. You may not like what one person is saying or you may not agree with what one person is saying, but this is my thing is like, man, just like you have a television, you can turn it off or on or change the channel. You on Twitter, you can follow or unfollow or if you wanna engage, then you can reply and you can get into a conversation. It's, It's no different than any other aspect of our life. And it's very—it's more revealing for all these people who are like, oh my gosh, I'm going to leave Twitter. This is just so crazy. It's more revealing about them than it is about Elon Musk or anything else. Like, what are you so afraid of? What are you so concerned about that you have to, okay, fine, you want to leave the room, leave the room. That means you also are giving up your voice in this open marketplace of ideas.
0: Yeah, it, it, it all roads, you know, so much of the, Stuff we've been talking about even thus far, in terms of these ideological kinds of, um, in you know, in excesses, all roads lead to narcissism when you get right down to it. Yeah, <laughs> as though we're all supposed to care that you're leaving Twitter. Like, you, you right. want to turn your television off, you want to leave Twitter. I don't give a shit. Go ahead, that's yeah, fine with me. Exactly. Please enjoy that. That's fine. And by the way, they're commenting on a business that he bought he owns he can do he can close it all down if he wants to it's his business he can do as he pleases what where do we get this grandiose notion think how grandiose that is that, that people should be a caring whether i'm not am on or not on the platform and b that the owner should listen to me. Is it, are, Do they go through their lives like that? Do they walk into McDonald's and, you know, <laughs> where is not the manager? Well, I'm going to talk to the owner. Who's the owner of this exactly. company? And I think <laughs> you got to make your hamburgers a little differently. Or I'm leaving.
1: <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, please get out of here. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it, it's so okay. odd. It's <laughs> such a strange. I think it's weird. I think it's weird. Yeah. And I think, uh, I don't know. I got to believe that most people uh, either don't care or are not paying attention. Be like, cool, man. That's your choice. It's a free country. Go live your life. Make your own decisions.
0: Well, but yet they they form these little mobs that whip themselves into these frenzies. Yeah. These little, these little, and you know when you really study the history of mobs, it, it, you know I, I I wrote a book about narcissism about fifteen years ago, and I wanted to put a chapter in about two re, about pre-revolutionary France because that was the only other sort mm. of semi-modern period I could find where there was so much childhood trauma and narcissism, and I kept saying there's going to be scapegoating, there's going to be guillotines. I I know it's coming. And uh, they told me it's too speculative, and that and now it's here we are, mm. here we are. The the, yeah. the scapegoating is up. The social media is the public square. The guillotine is the cancellation procedure, and uh, yeah, yeah, we're we're in it. But it's always yeah. because of, oh, there's an old book. How about that? Uh, all because of uh, narcissism and childhood trauma. That's what that's what really leads to that stuff. And I I don't know how. Do you have any? Th- well, let me ask you this: How do you maintain such a what? You look uh, uh, externally to be, have a great deal of, uh, we used to call was it, uh, was it verisimilitude or something? Just, just even ke- you're even killed. You, you're, you're, you're mm. pleasant. You seem uh, Ill, unaffected by so much of the stuff swirling about you and the things that is leveled at you. Are you inside? Are you, are you troubled inside or are you able to maintain that kind of positive, um, um, at, this, this is the jet logging in me now. I can't find language, but that that seemingly comfortable, <laughs> comfortable <outlook>. exterior. <laughs> we're seeing. yeah, is, there, is that staying inside? And if so, how do you do that? Is that is that some of your religious yeah. heritage? Is that do you have a daily practice? How do you do that?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think this is such an important question as we are in uh, such troubling times where there is so much noise and there's so much fear and, you know, people feeling like they have to self-censor. If I say this, I might lose friends or worse yet, I might lose my job. And just all of this stuff is, um, I think it causes a lot of concern and a lot of confusion for people. Um, and it really just comes down to reflecting and thinking, you know, for me, like, where do I place value and my strength and my, um, Uh, what's most important to me comes from within. For me, it comes from my personal relationship with God and uh, always knowing and understanding and reflecting and praying upon uh, his unconditional love uh, for me and for all of us. And so, you know, I get attacks from all sides about all these different things and name calling and people attempting to smear my character and all of this other stuff. And, uh, you know, it, 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 rolls off, it rolls off because of that, that inner strength that, that comes from within, from, from the Lord in my heart, and knowing that my goal in life is not to be uh, pleasing or to gain the approval from any talking head on television or some person on Twitter or whatever it is. Um, my satisfaction and my sense of fulfillment comes from just doing my best to be pleasing to God uh, with my life. And for me, what better play, What what better way to be pleasing to God than to try to work for um, the well-being of of God's children? To try to make a positive impact on others, and as long as I'm doing that, then um, I'm I am happy. I'm truly happy.
0: It it does seem like um, the the lack of a spiritual landscape practice, whether you want to call it religious or not, into that vacuum has flown the ideological and political excesses that we've been talking about. Do we need a new awakening of some type in this country? Is there is there a prescription for that somewhere?
1: Yeah, like you said, this is not about one religion or another. I think there is certainly uh, a spiritual, um, uh, Vacuum. We are facing a spiritual, yeah, a vacuum and and challenge in this country where when you look at uh, the things that are on the, the headlines every day, when you look at uh, politicians reacting to the headlines by like, hey, well, okay, well, we'll just pass a bill to do this, or we'll just make this statement, uh, you know, for, I think there was a, a tragic shooting in New York state uh, a few months back. And the politician's response was, well, we have to ban hate speech, because of the mm. the shooter, what what the shooter was putting out online, I think it was. We just have to ban hate speech. They're they're not addressing um, the deeper spiritual problems with with a number of these different issues that we're facing. Not actually going deep and saying, hey, what, why why are we facing the challenges we're facing as a society, as people? And and I think that's that's much of the problem that we're seeing. I know you deal a lot with with addiction and other things, and and mm-hmm. you know just assigning like oh well, you're addicted to this drug we'll give you another drug or we'll we'll slap a band-aid right. on it here not actually going through what is actually the root cause of your depression or dissatisfaction or unhappiness or this feeling of emptiness in your heart and as long as our society continues to ignore this erosion of a spiritual foundation in our society then the more we're going to see these problems continue to morph and perpetuate and ultimately cause this unhappiness and harm and suffering.
0: Yeah, I, I get sort of overwhelmed when I hear you say that because I I know that to be true and I'm not sure what to do about it. I I it's it's a it's a daunting task and the kinds of things that people look to to fix the as you call the emptiness or the hole in the heart, whatever <laughs> you want to refer to it. If they're not reaching for drugs and alcohol, they're reaching for all kinds of other things that <laughs> are not productive and not good. I, I noticed early on when you got out on social media, uh, I guess it was probably TikTok, you tended to um, offer, there were sort of regular meditations on gratitude, which caught my eye right away. And, and I noticed on Thanksgiving, you put out a big gratitude list
1: and, and uh, discussion. Talk to people about that as well. It's easy on a day-to-day basis to get sucked into this vortex of, of noise and negativity and uh, criticism and, and just think about all of the problems and challenges and all the things that we wished we had but we don't or whatever it might be. And I've just found uh, through, through my own daily practice how powerful and important it is to take that time and whether it's in prayer or reflection or meditation, to to truly just be grateful. And uh, I, I've been serving now for almost twenty years as a uh, soldier, uh, currently serving in the Army Reserves, and I've deployed three times to different war zones in the world. And and uh, so much of the the cost of war, the the reality of how fragile life is, um, is something that's, that has been a part of my life for a very long time. And so just at a basic level, just being grateful uh, for, for life, for the gift of life, and then having that lead to the introspection of, well, what am I doing with my life? How am I choosing to spend the hours of my day or the days of my week? What, what, what am I doing uh, to have a positive impact whether it's on the world or just my family or my friends or my coworkers, the people that that I'm around every day. And just those those small meditations on an ongoing basis for me have been so really, really powerful and impactful. And, and at those times where I start to get, I feel myself like, oh man, I'm getting, you know, the, the darkness is starting to creep in. It's rec- being able to actually recognize it, first of all, be mindful of it and then knowing what to do to go back again to uh go back within and and recognize um you know God's love and what is most important in life
0: the other thing that one of the other things that intrigues me about you is um your no that's not the right way of framing it you speak like someone with a great fund of knowledge and mm-hmm. yet I feel like your life experience, I mean, you were in the you're in the state you know congress at age of 21 uh, you, you didn't have time mm. to get your education done i feel like life itself has been your educational forum A- am i been. right you, are you yeah are do you Are do you read voraciously are you just are you just <laughs> absorb stuff as you're because you clearly you whatever the experience has been you've been able to you know not everyone can think carefully and analytically about their experiences they just sort of are in it it's clear to me that whatever you've been experiencing in all these diverse and really interesting careers you've, you've been involved with, you've learned a tremendous amount. Is it just the experience, or is there do you have other sources that you really uh, lean on? Like a lot of people that are successful, like yourself, read a lot.
1: Yeah, I, I would say uh, it, it's kind. It's all of the above. Um, there, there was you know when I was young, uh, I don't know, I, I was probably twelve or thirteen years old. I had this I had this realization and um the realization really was even at that time I I understood in in an incredibly deep way that life is short and I don't know how much time I have in this life in this world and so I need to do I need to make the most of that time and so when I, you know, I, I growing up here in Hawaii, uh, obviously beautiful place. Uh, I, I grew up very much caring about protecting water and the oceans, and just protecting the environment. And that's that's what drove me to run for um, run for office, to run for the state house when when there was a, an open seat, there was an opportunity to go and actually take the things that I really cared about and turn it into action to to make a difference and, and make an impact. And it never dawned on me. Like, you know, I heard from some of my friends or as I was knocking on doors, people were like, you're 21 years old. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? And I felt as though, of course, I should do this. You know, there are these issues that I care very much about. uh, And at that time, you know, there's a decision I could I could have gone to school and studied political science and sat in a classroom and talked about it with professors and classmates. But for me, it made absolutely the most sense to just go and go and do it why, why just sit around and talk about it go out and actually knock on people's doors and let them know hey i'm tulsi and i'm offering to serve you and be your voice and fight for you and your families in our community in the hawaii state legislature and those were the conversations that i had with thousands of people uh back in 2002 when i ran and 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 it is that same um drive and that same motivation uh recognizing like there is no time, there is no time. Uh, that only further became highlighted as I, as I deployed overseas, my first deployment to Iraq, where I served in a medical, medical unit where every single day uh, was confronted with that, that high human cost of war. And uh, those experiences and these experiences throughout my life um, have continued to be, um, to provide those opportunities uh, to go deeper and not just not just live on the surface.
0: Well, that that is profound. I I, I want to hear more about that if you don't mind. I, at the age of twelve, was there a moment of clarity? Had did something happen? Did you see something? Had you been something been evolving? And I mean, that's profound, right? Uh, I did. Yeah. I mean, I at thirteen when I, I could. Pfft, I barely put my socks on at thirteen, and, <laughs> and and that's of course males are particularly. It's a very difficult time for males, even more so. But to be a twelve or thirteen year old female is no easy matter either. Uh, yeah. And to have that kind of a profound insight. I mean, that I you know you've mentioned spirituality, you've mentioned gratitude, and now this profound understanding about the the. The limited nature of our biological being, which is something most people never get to, and I think it's one yeah. of the things that I've been obsessed about through COVID. It's like we're supposed to live forever and safety uber Alice, say what the hell's going on here? We're biological. We we have limitations on our time here. Uh, but to come to that at thirteen, I'm wondering the, is if you could talk to me more about what the was there a moment of clarity? Was there something evolving in your life? Did you see something? Did you lose somebody? It was it something that evolved over time talk to us about that
1: you know it wasn't it wasn't some kind of major milestone or major event in my life that that brought that realization on it was really uh, i i remember exactly uh where i was sitting in a room uh in in prayer just having a conversation talking to god and uh you know I, i'm i'm so grateful to you know again i was brought up with with a lot of uh, with with a strong spiritual foundation and recognizing that, you know, real religion um, is is about having a personal, loving relationship with God. It's not about just going through the motions. It's about actually developing that and cultivating that real relationship with God as your best friend. And uh, and so, um, I remember being in a room by myself, uh, spending that time in in prayer um, and. All I remember was, was uh, having that, that moment of really being struck with the reality of how short life is and feeling a sense of urgency, uh, even at that, at that young age to, um, to not waste it, to not waste my life profound. And to make the most of the time yeah. that I have.
0: It's is profound, and and whenever anybody talks about the, the benefits of prayer or meditation, it, it's things like that that come in, however you want to understand it or however it can be understood, is what people get from that. Uh, I am uh, sort of awe-stricken and jealous at the same time <laughs> that at such a young age that you could have such a profound experience. Uh, I don't know how we— uh, Encourage people to to get to those sorts of places. I I do think that for some people, those kinds of spiritual insights don't necessarily come uh, through these contemplative or prayer practices. They they come sort of interpersonally. A lot of people mm-hmm. can find those same kinds of insights by literally seeing themselves or the world through a new pair of glasses, so to speak, which is mm-hmm. accepting another person's inter, you know, experience of you or of the world and really letting that in. I kind of feel like in terms of improving our world, I, I, we'll have an easier time selling that one than, than, than you know prayer and, and meditation because people w- were so caught up in everything. I don't know that people will spend the time to do it.
1: You know, I I think as as time has gone on, I think there are more and more people who are recognizing uh, the value of mindfulness, the value of Mm. of meditation, and whatever one's spiritual practice may be. uh, It's really creating that space for solitude. I, I I do it every. It's a priority for me to to do that every morning to create that space for solitude, just me by myself. Uh, and tuning out all of the noise in the world, and uh, spending that time in in reflection and and in prayer, um, that is that is absolutely critical because it is tough. There is so much that's happening, uh, but for me, making making that a priority is essential uh, to to every day.
0: In that little intro we played about your podcast, where Rogan is saying, you know. You've given me faith in politicians, and thank you for doing what you do. I, 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 I saw that interview, and I remember thinking to myself that that is exactly how I feel when I when I see mm. you being interviewed. My, I, rather than laying that on you again, I, I'd sort of like to flip it and ask, why why doesn't politics attract better people? Is it just too painful? What what is you know? You were in Congress for a while. Is it too difficult to get anything done? Is it too frustrating that that only people that <laughs> want to get their egos massaged or you know win elections, those are the only kinds of people that get in there anymore?
1: Yeah, you know, that the best people that I have found in politics are the people who uh who hate politics <laughs> and who don't who don't yeah. really want to be there, but but who who end up running for office and, and getting elected out of a sense of duty, out of a sense of yeah. responsibility. And, and so and, and
0: so once they're there, once they're there do they find it impossible and frustrating and, and demoralizing, or do they feel like, okay, I, I can fight this fight, I can, I can get something done? Because I, I, then one of the things that sort of has happened to me in the last couple of years, I'm, I'm disgusted with so many of the people in politics. I'm disgusted with what's happened to my profession. I'm disgusted with public health. I, this stuff is disgusting to me, and we need to. Disgust is a very powerful emotion. It makes you want to change things. And I, I can't be the only one feeling this way, and so. I wonder that people that feel disgusted, if they feel that I've got to go do something and they do it, is it going to be equally as disgusting once they get inside, I guess, is the question.
1: Yeah. I mean, you pull back the curtains and you see the reality of of who, who it is that actually has the... The, the, who's holding the reins of power in this country and making hugely consequential decisions on our everyday lives on the state of our country and the impact that we are having uh in the world uh, it was it was uh, and i talked about this on on one of my conversations with rogan was about how very quickly after i got to congress i saw how it was a lot it's a lot like being in high school you know, where you've got different cliques, you've got the cool kids over here, you've got the outcasts over here. You know, as you see every day during votes is the only time that that every member of Congress is together in one place on the House floor. And, and, and I remember one time I went up and uh, I had some friends visiting and I went up to the gallery and sat with them for a few minutes in between votes and just had a little bit of a bird's eye view and uh, was just mm. talking them through like, okay, see that corner? That's where these people hang out. This is where those people sit and everybody on the house floor knows it. And it's just, it is, you know, there, a lot of times the conversations are, um, I mean, it's just, it's, it's so immature and juvenile and it's incredibly <laughs> disturbing when you recognize, <laughs> oh wow, like they're voting on things that have to do with our economy and taxes and, and our first amendment rights and and just mm. things that that are really, really important. And that once these pieces of legislation are passed, it's very hard to undo them. Very rarely do leaders in this country do the work necessary to say, actually, you know what, that bill that was passed, it actually was not good. Or hey, maybe even you had good intentions, but the consequences have been very negative. So let's go and repeal that. Very rarely does that ever happen. And and I think a lot of it is because we have leaders who are thinking more about themselves than they are about how their actions are impacting the american people and are not spending that time going out and talking to small business owners and saying hey how is it going what are the things that that we in government can do to make your lives better to make it better and easier for you you to be able to have a thriving business in in this country. You know, small businesses, as you know, they're the eco, they're the economic backbone of this country, the number one employers in this country. And yet, it is it is so much harder for so many small businesses just to survive than it is for mm-hmm. the few you know multi million or billion dollar businesses who can afford to have the lobbyists and go get all the carve out the tax carve outs and all the special handouts. That they get through through legislation small businesses are like hey what about us you know what i mean and, and that's one example but but ultimately um the people who go to washington who are not there to get their ego stroked who are not attracted at all by the glitter and the the attention that they get and they do you know there there is unfortunately this is part of the problem is they're treated like you know some kind of celebrity rather than like hey you're a public servant you you yeah. got hired by the people in your community to come here and do a job, and not yeah. not pretend like you live in some ivory tower where you're better than everybody else because you're not. You are not. Mm-hmm. I,
0: I I completely agree. I is there a sense? I got to take a break in a, sec- a section. When we get back, I, I want to talk about COVID and what happened to my profession and profession and what seems to still be happening yeah. to it. But but um, I, I just want to ask this question, which is. I have such awe for the American story and our history and the unbelievable foresight of the founding fathers, and and I, I look to you know the words of Frederick Douglass very often to try to protect me from my own. Uh, and again, I, this word white supremacy comes up a lot, but I, I, Frederick Douglass used it, and I understood what he means when he talks about it, and so I use him as my sort of my shield against my own perspectivalism my white eurocentric that it's it's where my heritage is where it comes from and i need to be very 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 careful to always see other points of view and um that being said he too frederick douglas and i have awe for the thinking and the and the foresight and the, the historical uh, sort of um accident that this country became. Are the people that are out there on that floor of the Congress, are are they even aware of the history that they're attached to? Do they have uh, a respect for it? Or is it just sort of, again, they're just getting their ego stroked?
1: You know, uh, obviously I can't speak for everybody there, but in my experience of having served for eight years in Congress, there are far too few people Who've been put in this position of great responsibility and great power, who've actually taken the time to understand what the vision of our founders was, what the importance and the the importance that they placed in every single word that was written into the Constitution, every word Mm -hmm. that was put into the Bill of Rights, looking into the Federalist Papers, trying to better understand what was their intent, what was their vision, and then attach that to the responsibility that our lawmakers have in carrying out that vision to to maximize the great potential of this this country and to uphold uh to actually take those words to heart that that every one of us um said when we took our oath of office and and it comes with great weight and and I I've had the privilege of taking that oath twice both as a a soldier and then later as a member of Congress. And it's something that I take very seriously and it's, it, it's an oath that I carry forward in everything that I do.
0: I, I feel as though people in the armed services are more conscious of it than, than the people that are serving. At, at well, it's the, real uh, because
1: we're willing to lay down yeah. our lives to, to up, to yeah. keep that promise. And so yeah. it's not, it's not just a matter of like, okay, cool. I got this job for a couple of years and right. you know, we'll see what happens. It, it, It literally is a decision of saying, you know what, I'm willing to give everything in my life Mm -hmm. in order to to protect and defend this vision that our founders had for this country and the American people.
0: We're going to take a couple minute break. TulsiGabbard.com is where you can find more, get the podcast. And uh, Tulsi, I'll be right back after this. I have some pretty exciting news. Our favorite skincare brand, Genucel, is having a holiday preview sale. It just went live for all the products that Susan and I love. Genucel Silky Smooth XV Moisturizer soaks right into my skin instantly. And with its immediate effects, you can see the fine lines and wrinkles disappearing within 12 hours. And Susan loves, of course, the Genucel Vitamin C Serum, infused with the purest vitamin C that absorbs to the deepest layers of the skin because of their proprietary skincare technology. I am a snob when it comes to using products on my face. The dermatologist makes a ton of money from me. But when I was introduced to Genucel, I was so happy because it's so affordable and it works great. I was introduced to the Ultra Retinol Cream, which I love at night. All the eye creams are amazing. People notice my skin all the time, and I'm so excited because it's actually working. And for a limited time, take advantage of the Genucel Holiday Preview Sale and save up to 60% off our favorite Genucel products. 60% off. Treat yourself this holiday season go to genucel.com slash drew that's genucel.com slash drew g-e-n-u-c-e-l dot com slash drew my guest is philip patrick he is a precious metal specialist trains at university of redlands he has spent years as a wealth manager at citigroup and his current position is with birch gold group so gold has always been uh, somewhat of a safe haven particularly in times of great turmoil uh, much like our present moment, I imagine. Gold has always traditionally been a safe haven asset. Gold specifically has has always been about wealth preservation, right? Gold has always held its buying power. You can look at as far back as you'd like in history. In biblical times, one ounce of gold would buy somebody 400 loaves of bread. And today it does the same thing. So it's a store of value. But I would say in times like this, as you mentioned, it's particularly important when you're dealing with things like 40-year high inflation, uh, You know, the air that's coming out of a stock market bubble, these times in particular tend to drive gold and silver up quite significantly.
1: If things are different, the solution needs to be different as well. So I encourage everyone to get informed. And we have a lot of good information here to help your listeners.
0: Just a reminder, I am not a financial advisor and I do not give out financial advice nor investing advice. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers. Check them out now. Visit birchgold.com slash drew and secure your future with gold. Do it now. The Dr. Drew collectible bobblehead is here. Limited stock for the holidays makes a perfect gift for any Dr. Drew fan. And we are having a special black friday event offering discounts for all of our viewers it's a high quality bobblehead handcrafted hand painted and packed in this cool box look at this thing it's got a window clamshell for product visibility when it is boxed and it has our logo dr drew logo all over the place uh features me in my usual jeans and uh dark black t-shirt that's right it's the perfect stocking stuffer for the dr drew fan in your life also, for a limited time, save an additional five dollars with coupon code Doctor Drew at checkout. Order online at drdrew.com/shop. That is drdrew.com/shop for this special price. Click on the link and save today. Back with uh, Tulsi Gabbard. Uh, that is Susan Pinsky's big project up there. So make her happy by by uh, proceeding with your stocking stuffers, as they have me say. Uh, uh, by the way, there's a there's a problem going on on Rumble in the Rumble rants. We've got people hijacking each other's names and saying terrible things, <laughs> including mine, including yours. I'm not so. saying those things. Yes, just so I, we are aware. Wow. Uh, so yeah, it's freedom like, of speech again. It's, it's I, but it's yeah. you know we're still working yeah. the bugs out over on Yeah, Rumble. not
1: not good if you're hijacking someone else's uh, name though.
0: Mm-hmm. I need you got a things to say? Say it in your there. own name.
1: Yeah, so you get a blue mark on my name? <laughs> yeah, and
0: by the way, I used to complain about uh, uh, the previous Twitter administration. I used to have people masquerading as me giving medical advice on Twitter, and I would complain to Twitter That's all dangerous. the time, and they would take no no action. I, I can't imagine anything more serious than that. It's mas- yeah. it's literally masquerading as a physician and then practicing without a lie. It's just like this is mind-boggling to me. They didn't do anything about it, never. I, I must have made 10 of those uh um, uh, complaints and they always came it back. Sh- it with shows anyway. their,
1: what, what they thought was yeah. important, right? Oh,
0: oh my God. Yes. And so I, and there were lots of, th- I had all kinds of abusive and hateful things that was, I, I would report and they never took action on a one of them. So this wow. idea that somehow the, the, the environment is worse under Elon Musk. I'm sorry. That that's just simply not true. But in any anyway, event, the the COVID, I, as I was thinking about uh, talking to you today, I was thinking about how traumatic COVID was in so many respects, not the least of which was being locked down. But for me, one of the big traumas was learning about <laughs> what was happening to my profession and I didn't know it, uh, as well as what was happening mm-hmm. to public health and didn't know it. I guess my first question would be, well, I, I'm interested in your thoughts and what we've just went, been through. I will just color it by saying, one of the the things for me that's got to be corrected are the excesses of public health, and the fiat authority they have to do things that are egregious, without being required to defend what they do or to have a any any sort of yeah. uh, sort of threshold they have to achieve to do whatever they want under certain circumstances. That seems to me as something that needs to be remedied. But your thoughts on what we've yeah. just been through?
1: Oh gosh, there's so much we could we could spend a couple hours just talking on this topic alone. I think. Um, yep. Well, first and foremost, let me just acknowledge the reality is that for some people, uh, I mean, co- COVID is a very poses a very serious risk to those who mm-hmm. uh, have you know weakened or compromised immune systems, those who are elderly, and 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 so on. The thing, there, there are three points I think I want to make on this of where our government has failed and continues to fail us. Uh, I'm sure you watched Doctor Fauci's farewell speech, and the same problems that I saw throughout, he again highlighted and reiterated in his farewell speech just before his retirement. Um, and 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 those are three big lies. The first of which is has to do with masks. You know, Fauci stood there at the podium and said, "Hey, everybody, mask up." going into the holidays and you're going to go and be around other people, mask up. But he knows very well that when people hear him say mask up, they're thinking of like, well, let me go and get the cloth mask or the paper surgical mask. And knowing that ultimately they, they don't provide protection either from somebody who you know, may catch COVID or prevent someone who has it from spreading it. And that the only masks that, that offer any real kind of protection are actually respirators, the, the medical grade N95 can, N95 that are tightly fit and snug, uh, and, and that have, you know, th- those are the only things that actually provide uh, any kind of protection. Uh, and yet they continue to lie about that, give people this false sense of security. The second thing has to do with the vaccines. Again, at the podium, over and over, he's saying, you know, the best thing that anybody can do is get vaccinated and get the booster shot uh, so that they can go. And he literally said this so that, you know, you can go and protect yourself, protect your family members, and protect your community. Once again, l- perpetuating this lie that the vaccine somehow prevents you from getting COVID, which we know is false, and, and that it will prevent you from spreading COVID which we know is false. So it it gives people and I've heard even nurses back during when we were in kind of the 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 early days of covid, she was just saying, "Oh my gosh, thank God I can get the vaccine now so that I can actually go and visit my grandmother who has, you know, who who has a compromised immune system." And so the the danger that people like Dr. Fauci and others are creating is this false sense of security, letting this nurse, for example, think that well she can go and hang out with her grandmother who's actually very concerned about the negative ramifications that could pose a threat to her life if she were to get COVID because she's vaccinated. When in fact uh, that lie has been exposed for for what it is. And then the third thing is that Dr. Fauci, you know, he's been questioned by Rand Paul over and over and is very indignant in his response about gain of function research they still don't want to do any investigation, true investigation about how how, and where COVID uh, originated because they would then be forced to acknowledge the fact that there is a possibility or even a very real probability that it came from American taxpayer funded gain of function research that is not only happening uh, in, in China but in other countries around the world and, and also here in the United States. They're they not willing to talk about this or to tell the American people the truth about this so-called scientific research that is actually posing a great risk to to humanity.
0: Why not? Why not be truthful? There, there's, I want to, I want to, you know, pile on to what you said, um, just so there's no holes in any of our conversation here. In terms of masks not working, let me just follow on with that and say, surgical masks do not work mass masking does not work we have the bangladesh study or the danish study we have lots of studies that shows they don't work uh people that push back go well, why do surgeons wear a surgical mask so the bacteria laden spit in their mouth doesn't fall into the surgical field that's why surgeons wear masks not to prevent viruses from getting out of their mouth into the respirator of the patient nor the patient infecting the doctor it is to prevent saliva from dropping into the surgical field We know material masks don't work. We know that N95s do help somebody who wants to protect themselves, much if I went in a room with a tuberculosis patient, I would wear an N95 mask. But I would never take it off around the patient. If you take it off to eat or anything else, it now has zero efficacy. So N95 for them to work must be worn at all times now if you want to do that and try to protect yourself fine i have no problem with that but you are not protecting anybody else in fact there's some data that you might be aerosolizing things further within n95 but we don't know that data for sure yet so there's that kids masking there is zero data on that there's no cluster randomized controlled anything on that we just know that it's God only knows what it's doing to kids. It is not helping them. then, by the way, the incidence of uh, serological activity in children right now is approaching 100%. So all kids have already been exposed. So masks and vaccines in children I I don't understand that at all. Uh in terms of uh you know the the lying about, you know, where this came from and all. It seemed like one of their primary strategies in um, you know safety, Uberalis lockdown or else get to vaccine. Then vaccine Uberalis was to crush any dissent. In addition yeah. to a farewell ad- address, Dr. Fauci was uh, test had gave testimony in, in a uh, case in Missouri a couple of days ago or yesterday. Uh, must have been the day before yesterday where he was on the record uh, about these issues, and he was all over the place. I, I You can read uh, Dr. Cariotti's, uh, who's a psychiatrist I've interviewed a number of times here, thread on this, he, he was not, uh, he just kept saying he's too busy to be bothered with things like the Great Barrington Declaration, and yet there's all this video of him <laughs> spending many lots of time uh crushing those dissents as somehow peripheral and marginal and don't know what they're talking about. And these were these were always people of extraordinary pedigree with huge backgrounds that would normally be right at the table, con- you know, talking about what our policy is and what our, you know, what our best approaches should be and best practices. I, it's not just that they wouldn't admit or change direction. They they became sort of violently Totalitarian in the way this was delivered. Yeah. Do you have any insight into what that's all about?
1: Uh, ju- just that 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 once they saw, well, we've got this power, it became about compliance uh, and and holding on to or or further abusing that power more than anything else. You saw that because that's crazy. Uh, I, I can't think of a single example, and and maybe they're out there, but I can't think of a single example of. Of somebody who said, "Okay, well, initially this thing came out. We don't know a lot about it. We're going to institute these restrictions, and then once they realize, okay, well, now we know more. Let's let's lift them." Right. Um, in right. in just about every case that I can think of, it was just like, "Well, we have to. We have to continue. Well, we've put these restrictions in place, and we just like it's, it was doubling down, even though the facts and science and and new revelations may have proved their decisions." may have been may have been wrong which really just exposed uh, it really it really was about power and compliance and we see this through the hypocrisy of so many of their directives and and commands where you know they're they're often talked about now not in all circles but in a lot of circles how you know people couldn't go to church or go to a loved one's funeral mm-hmm. Uh, or even have one at all but it was fine to go to walmart it was fine to go to a strip bar uh, or or a liquor store Um, you saw the hypocrisy around well you can't have more than whatever it was 10 people or 20 people depending on whatever was gather in an even an outdoor space together at any given time people were getting arrested for trying to hold religious services even outdoors but If you've got 30,000 people marching together in a social justice parade or a Black Lives Matter parade where social distancing, come on, give me a break, uh, that's fine because the risk is worth the cause. And so you then have people in power deciding, well, we're going to decide what is worth people being allowed to gather in public places for. Uh, and then you had, of course, people uh, you know in the CDC and elsewhere deciding like, well, we need to make sure the vaccine is made available based on race rather than based on who may benefit the most from getting that vaccine. So, so much was really revealed through these decisions that were being made uh, by people in power, both the state, local, and federal levels uh, that... That showed more about them and what they were trying to force compliance about um, in, in our in our country throughout this whole period.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I learned a lot about what what was what they're tra- how, the, these public health officials were not clinically trained. Many of them were not even physicians. They had many of them were pediatricians that had no training in adult medicine and had no judgment in these areas. Yeah, the, it was incompetence it was flat out it yeah. was incompetence like, I think it was worse California, right I mean
1: it was incompetence it was incompetence coupled with this this like thing like oh my gosh I have power well I'm gonna I'm gonna push this and maximize this so it was incompetence like you know I I, I could almost forgive someone who's incompetent who then says gosh like this is new we're making mistakes yeah. we got to figure this out I could I could accept and forgive that. But when you have incompetence yes. coupled with a hunger for this stranglehold on power, once they got a taste of it, that is unacceptable. Yeah. Absolutely unacceptable. Yeah, I
0: agree. I, I agree. The, the, to me, the greatest uh, poster child for the level of incompetence was here in California, or at least LA County. I don't remember if it was California at large, but you could go to the beach, but you had to be. You couldn't stand with. You couldn't sit, and if you laid a towel <laughs> down, you'd be arrested. You can't lay yeah. a towel down on the beach. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, you yeah. are you aware that the whole six feet social distancing and the six feet was invented out of whole cloth for this pandemic? You will not find in an no. infectious disease textbook on Earth with social distancing, and the six feet, I've talked to people who were in the room when they they came up with these policies. They were trying to decide between six feet and 60 feet, and they just arbitrarily picked up six feet because they thought, well, we get people to comply with that, maybe it'll help, and then then demanded it. And so my question is, given that it was all serendipity and incompetence and foolishness and uh, panic and whatever, What are we gonna do to curtail this so that this doesn't happen again? So at least there is a procedure where they have to be able to justify or or at least justify the maintenance of some of these. Even if they do something arbitrarily, they have to tell you that it's arbitrary and they can't defend it and they'll need to come up with something to defend it in order to maintain it, something, some procedure that limits some of this excess.
1: You know, I I think a lot of this has to do with what kind of leaders uh, we choose. Um, you know, there were there were a lot of people who did not show up to vote in this last election, which which actually surprised me, given everything that we've been through as a country in the last couple of years. Uh, if you are unsatisfied, if you are frustrated, if you are angry with the way that our leaders are are serving or abusing their position, we we're the ones who have the, the power to fire them. We are the ones who have the power to fire them and to hire better leaders. So, uh, you know, just basic participation is is essential. And I think for those uh, also who pursued legal action, uh, we we saw that in, in some different uh, at the, at the state level, uh, in some cases, yeah. but also those who chose to continue to escalate it to the national level. level um, we we have to exercise the levers of power that exist. To make sure that uh, we can best protect ourselves from those who are trying to abuse their power for their own selfish interests.
0: You were you were you were so right. I, I again, as I said, I was reviewing some of the founding fathers' ideas and principles, and I and. There was a, Patrick Henry apparently had a, had a beef with the opening uh, preamble in the, in the Constitution. He felt that it should say, we the states, rather than we the people. Because mm. it was supposed to be a more perfect union of states and the states would be imba- endowed with the, with the rights. But in reading about that, that conflict, I thought, God, we, we forget that that's the fundamental principle of this country, which is that exactly. we are self-governing. And it has exactly. not felt anything like that to the point where I've actually forgotten that that was a founding principle. And that's, again, yeah. I spent a lot of my days, a lot of my time is spent, Kelsey, these days either confused or disgusted. And then the, mm. the, the fact that that basic principle is sort of uh, in the background rather than in the foreground is, is disgusting. It's disgusting. And, and thank you yeah, for you know, reclarifying and bring it back up.
1: Yeah, thank you. I, I spent um, in the days after I announced that I had left the Democrat Party, I got a lot of phone calls and messages from different candidates across the country asked if I would come and, and help campaign for them. And and I did for I, I I think I was in probably 18 states over the last three weeks of the election. And the message that I had everywhere I went didn't change at all. And it was speaking to not just Republicans or Democrats or independents, but speaking to everyone and asking them to share this message with others is exactly what you said, Drew, which is if if you are frustrated and unhappy with those who you have hired to serve you and to lead, then it is only we the people who can make that change. And that reminder, that we are a self-governed people. That is the vision that our founders had for us. They didn't say, as you said, we the states, or we the rich and powerful, or we the elected leaders. They said, we the people, and they were very explicit in exactly what they meant uh, in a lot of those different documents that they put out. We the people, we are the only ones who can bring about the kind of change we want to see in the leadership in this country. Uh, And we do that at a very basic level by casting our votes, by being informed and going out and making sure that our voice is heard in this election system. I understand why so many people are frustrated and angry and feel like, you know what, why waste my time and go vote? My voice will never be heard. You have all these super wealthy people like Nancy Pelosi who make all the decisions anyway, why even bother? Mm -hmm. We have to take our country back. We have to save Mm -hmm. our country. From those who are in positions of power solely to enrich themselves at every level, if we want to have, uh, if we want to have this future that that the founders envisioned for our country actually be carried out, not even just for us, but but imagine for our kids and grandkids and and those those who will come behind us, because I I am so concerned that we are so quickly moving in the wrong direction, whereas we started this conversation talking about our fundamental right of free speech is being threatened today. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine what kind mm-hmm. of country we'll be living in in five years or 10 years or even in a couple of years if we lose that fundamental right and in some ways it's already being eroded?
0: Yes. Oh, oh, yes. Uh, listen, it it has... You know, uh, Alexis de Tocqueville wrote a book about democr- democracy in America in 1820s. And he he one of his observation was uh, that, he, that although we had the, the most um, liberal privileges of free speech as provided in the government, the actuality of free speech was highly constricted by the public square, he said, and mm-hmm. I believe the public square i e today social media has really restricted our our, our speech and uh, we that's an, in addition to taking back the government i think we also have to take back our, our freedom of expression and, and put it out there yeah. one of the things that, one of the other shocking things that happened for me is when covid hit my my physician peers froze they became afraid yeah. to do anything afraid to say anything they're still there they're still i everything that you know we're watching a lot of things happen with the vaccines i'm hearing it all over the place from all my peers none of them will say it out loud and it is stuff they're just afraid to speak up for fear of the retribution of the public square and it's real the 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 guillotines are out and the cancellation procedure i understand it but we've got to we've got to push past that
1: yeah we we do i mean we we um we protect our freedom by exercising it. Um, I, yeah, on that yeah. point, Drew. I mean, I've I've heard from some doctors and physicians whose licenses are being threatened mm-hmm. uh, if they mm-hmm. dare speak out on this. And yeah. I I think it's so important yeah. to to note that that yes, there is a level of of self censorship that's there because of well, you don't you don't want to be smeared, you don't want to be called names, you don't want your reputation to be undermined, your credibility yeah. to be undermined in this public town square but but there's yep. also something even more serious at play there where you have employers or state and local um health officials Both. who are literally threatening Both. doctors licenses to practice yep. simply for yep. speaking have having a view having an opinion having a scientifically mm-hmm. based opinion uh which which mm-hmm. which just on the issue of covid uh we haven't even talked yet about the issue of of you know kids who are being pushed into uh you know transition surgeries to change uh, you mm. know to as they are identifying with one as the other i mean there there's so many different things that that are just like well the the debate that has happened in scientific communities for so long is just like gone it's nowhere to gone. be found
0: yeah it it's gone and and uh, a lot of it is that the majority of physicians are employees now they're employed and so they're fearful of losing their job uh, mm-hmm. and they're fearful of, of the public square and fearful of being wrong. I, yeah, the the uh, the gender stuff, it gets very, very complicated. Uh, I Again, yeah. I, I blame my profession on that one, too, in that what I keep saying is, hey, our job is to find the correct treatment for the correct patient. And if we apply a treatment, medication, hormone blockers, hormones, surgeries – And it doesn't work out for the patient that's on us, not on the patient Mm. that's on us, we gave the wrong treatment to the wrong patient and we need to figure that out. So that that's where, you know, I lay a lot of this, um, the responsibility for this stuff, but, um, there's a, something coming up on my I – I have a bunch of chat streams up here that I just – I feel obliged to ask you about because I don't know anything about it and, it, and it's showing up here. Something about the World Economic Forum. Did, did that – did you interview somebody recently or say something about that recently?
1: Yeah. Or, no, that's it's, – it's something that I've been seeing pop up a little bit on social media. Uh, people who uh, – so so basically what, what happened was early uh, – I don't know, maybe in the first or second year that I served in Congress – Um, I found out that my picture and name had been placed on the World Economic Forum's website under this category they have listed as young global leaders. And Mm. I looked at it and I was like, okay, well, they have different people of different political parties and from around the world that are on this website. I was never asked to join and I was never informed by them that they had put my my, uh, name and picture on their website. And I honestly didn't know that much about it. Um, but uh, people have said, oh, well, what did you learn by graduating from Klaus Schwab's Young Global Leaders uh, Academy or, or all this stuff? And, and it's just, it's it's unfortunate um, that there's a lot of, um, uh, I don't know, false assumptions being made, I guess. It's an organization I, I've never gone to any of their... Shenanigans—that's a good word. Uh, I've never <laughs> gone to any of their events. I didn't graduate from any. I've literally not had any had, had anything to do with uh, the World Economic Forum. And the reason, though, the reason why people are concerned about this is actually very important. And I'm glad to just make clear that there is no connection between me and the World Economic Forum. You know, the World Economic Forum is is essentially pushing this. And, and Klaus Schwab and Glenn Beck wrote a whole book about this uh, for those who want more information. But basically, they're pushing this super globalist agenda where you have corporate powers of like the most wealthy of the wealthy attempting mm. to create whatever they wanna call it, some new world order, set the rules for the world that supersede and undermine the sovereignty of of countries, uh, undermining our our democracy essentially. And that's really what is so dangerous. And their intent of course, uh, you know, they claim to know what is best for us more than we know ourselves, and why wouldn't they, these multi-billionaires? Um, but but the danger of it is exactly that, that they are trying to set the rules for the world and build some kind of utopian future in their own mind, but undermining our voices and our sovereignty uh, as a country. I think that's the best way I can put it uh, in a nutshell. So. Um, I, I have been uh, very outspoken about a lot of these different issues over the years. So, for anyone who questions um, what my record is, look at look at my record, and you'll see how um, I have been talking about and warning against the very things that these people are are pushing. Um, you know, saying that uh, you know if I were in if I were ever, and I haven't been, but if I were invited to go to Davos, Davos is their big forum. Uh, that they put on. I think it's every year. If I were invited to go speak there, I would go and speak the same kind of truth to them as I speak uh, to anyone else. Uh, Because I think it's important that no matter, that that we not just live within our own echo chambers, but we actually go out and vigorously engage in this marketplace of ideas um, that we're talking about here.
0: Yeah, i I have no doubt that you would do so uh there's there's another part of this again this is on my mind now because of just having returned from from Europe, which is this this thing that's called populism and nationalism and you know i i i delight in uh, prime Minister Maloney's rhetoric i mean I may not agree with all her politics, but I delight in her rhetoric i just think it, isn't that her name Maloney the uh uh, you know, for Italy when I, I, yeah, I saw a lot of that, uh, in Europe when I was there, particularly where she, she held up a Frank, a, a French, uh, something. And she goes, you know, 50% of this comes from kids pulling gold out of a mine, you know? And so instead mm-hmm. of bringing those kids to Western Europe, why don't we allow those countries to keep their money so they can thrive, you know, on their own? I thought, well, it makes perfect sense to me. I I, I dig what she's saying. Yeah. So anyway, I just I what it but but it made me think about other things I was seeing over there, which was I'm hearing rumbles of Scotland again trying to, you know, push independence and and you know being in Spain and watching people celebrate their culture and their art and their architecture, that there is a value that humans derive. That is not purely negative, and we think about nationalism, and I think sometimes we think about World War II as sort of the final pathway of nationalism, but it doesn't have to be like that. And there's a certain um, delight that humans have, just the way the the Native Americans and the indigenous people still stay connected to their culture and the, and their identity yes. as such. That that everybody, humans, we. I don't know how better stronger words than like or enjoy, but it's important to us to have that connection to a culture and a heritage and a community and maybe a people even as part of that. I, I, the fact that the World Economic Forum wants to destroy that or or, or devalue it or, or or sort of consider it somehow dangerous or problematic. I, I think there'll be a massive pushback against that. I, I think that's kind of underway. Yeah. At least my, that was my yeah. sense in Western Europe. And it, it also made me think about us here and how we just we are so negative on on our stuff. We are just so we we there's like a hatred for you know that you can feel or negativity at least that you can feel here that you just don't see over there. There was a relief yeah. not to have that. And but to acknowledge and try to come to terms with as I said the horrible history that the that spain perpetrated on an entire continent and that portugal created with the slave trade i mean these were real historical things that these cultures were responsible for and need to be talked about honestly but condemning an entire culture and entire people in the present moment because of that history i i'm uncomfortable with that
1: as as you should be because you know who are we as people if we are not willing or able to learn from the mistakes of of our past? I mean, just even in our own singular lifetimes, I think that's what we hope, right? Is that every day as we move Mm -hmm. forward in life that we continue to learn and we continue to grow uh, from those mistakes of the past, importantly, so we don't continue making them again. And the same goes for us in the the history of this country that we do acknowledge and recognize and understand the sins of this country's past so that we make sure that we don't repeat those same uh tragedies again And, and and that's really where you know I, I'm proud to wear the uniform of this country. I'm proud to, you know, salute the flag. I'm proud and get goosebumps, you know, when I hear and, and, and sing the Star Spangled Banner, because to me, that's what that represents. It represents that freedom for us as a society, as people in this country who are proud of the potential and the foundational values and principles that make this country unique. And it is rooted in those God-given rights and freedoms that are enshrined in the Constitution. And it's up to us. It's up to us as individuals and as Americans to decide what kind of future we want to see. And so, you know, again, you know, when I when I hear people who are like, oh my gosh, look at all those American flags. And I've, you hear this from people on television sometimes, some of these political pundits or commenters or whatever it is, that like oh gosh if you go to the south you know they have so many American flags and talk about it in a really derogatory manner it it, it makes me sad it makes me sad mm. because they are not recognizing how special um, how how special this country really is uh, and that that specialness comes from those principles that are rooted uh, in our constitution. Um, you, you mentioned a couple of things I wanna I wanna comment on here. You you talk about populism. And I remember there mm. I had a meeting with somebody in my office in Congress one day where they were, they were shaking their heads and and like so concerned about, well, what do we do about the rise of populism in America and around the world? This is this is just, you know, this is of a great concern. And I said, why? <laughs> Why is this of (laughs) great concern? Because the people are rising up and saying, hey, you know what, we're sick and tired of you guys living in your ivory towers, you politicians, you elite, you CEOs of multinational corporations, Making decisions that benefit yourselves, but come at the cost of of the the lives of of everyday people, everyday Americans and people uh, around the world, and that's really what's at the heart of it. And so, when when you look at the people who are wringing their hands over like, what do we do about the rise of populism, they are, you know, the the equivalents of of the elite that that the first you know people who came and fled, uh, you know, England and other countries in Europe came to this country to escape from. And that's right. it, it. Again, it's it's just so telling. Like you look at who's who's concerned about populism. They're the people who believe that we exist. We the people exist to serve the well-being and the 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 thriving of these multinational corporations, rather than we the people existing and living just trying to to live um, live our lives and that the world should not revolve, the policies should not revolve around what is best for corporations, but they really believe what's best for corporations is actually best for the people, When not the case.
0: Let me, uh, if you don't mind, uh, I'm gonna read a tweet from Harry Truman, or a quote from Harry Truman that you tweeted a couple of days ago, which was, once a government commits to the principle of silencing opposition, it has only one way to go, and that's down the path of increasingly repressive measures until it becomes a source of terror to all its citizens, and we're sort of flirting with that as as a reality, and that's what we're talking yeah. about pushing back against.
1: Exactly, that's. Ex- I mean, he he put it. Uh, it's almost like he foresaw what what was coming or what could happen. And uh, you know, we we talk about politicians in Washington. Are they actually reading? Are they looking at at what our founders intended? What leaders of the past warned against? Uh, I wish yes. more of them did because that quote from Harry Truman it really struck me because it is incredibly relevant to what we are facing right now in this country.
0: And uh, I, I, we're sort of uh, winding up here because I don't want to keep you too much longer. You've been very kind with your time, but I was just thinking about uh, Doctor Fauci's testimony. Um, one of the things we did find out in his in his uh, on the record de- deposition was that the whole lockdown thing did come from one specific public health official who went to China and was persuaded by his peers there that the Chinese had the whole thing in hand with lockdowns and they were geniuses in terms of their their public health policy and we just needed to pursue what the Chinese were doing, which is something mm. I, I figured was the case and now has been proven. This was the Chinese Communist Party policy which we see still going on today that is creating essentially mini-revolutions in their country and destroying their economy and doing nothing except delaying the inevitable of COVID sweeping throughout their country as it inevitably will, now to be fair, mm-hmm. they may have a missed they may have missed alpha and delta by doing what they did, which is kind of interesting. They, there's something to be said for that. But uh, the COVID will, or you can't suppress a respiratory virus; it will infect everybody, and uh, they're now finding that out. But their policy was a sham from the from the outset, and mm-hmm. us following it and using something that had no scientific base, that had never been tried before, was a disgusting failure. And now they're on the record with that as their as their history. So I just needed to get that out there. Um, on this Thanksgiving, I am grateful to be able to speak to the one and only Tulsi Gabbard. I thank you so much for can, persevering and getting back in touch with me so we could finally pull this off. And, and I want you to know if there's anything we can do, Susan, I think I speak on your behalf as well, if I say this, that to support you, whatever pursuits you, you know, whatever in the future, you're doing and I hope it's on a a large scale and I hope it's representing a lot of people because we'll be right there standing behind you. Whatever we can do to support you, you. please let us know.
1: Thank you so much, uh, Drew. It's so good to finally talk to you. Thanks for your patience um, and I look forward to meeting you and Susan uh, one of these days soon.
0: Uh, 100%. Uh, And it's TulsiGabbard.com and listen to the podcast. I've got some people I want you to interview on the podcast too. I think you'll find very interesting in terms of people losing their jobs and having ideas and expressing themselves and losing their license because they just spoke up. But uh, that that has to stop. This has to stop. Tulsi Gabbard, everybody, thank you so much. And um, we'll just leave it at that. And we'll see everyone uh, on Monday, Susan, is that correct?
1: We actually have a few shows coming up on the schedule. We have a few of them coming up uh, over the next few weeks. I know for sure on Wednesday, I'm not exactly sure the other parts of the schedule yet, Drew, because you guys just flew back in town very late last night.
0: Yes, yes, very late last night. I've got Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday on the schedule because I'm leaving Thursday, Friday, and we have confirmed Dr. Ryan Cole on Wednesday, and I think at least Monday I will be just taking calls. Oh, Dr. Lapido, is that Wednesday? I believe that's in a couple, a few Wednesday. weeks. That's coming up. These are that's up. the Surgeon General, of Florida. I cannot wait. First to talk. week of December. I I admire this guy so much. This guy has had to take so much heat to take the positions he has taken, and I can't wait to speak with him. I don't again don't agree with everything he did. I agree with him applying his judgment, making tough decisions, and doing what he had to do. And by the way, the outcomes were pretty much speak for themselves. All right, everybody. We will see you on Monday for a. <laughs> I believe if you're available, Caleb, you available for Monday? Do a call-in show.
1: Uh, let me ask the baby. What day oh, is came it? In. I, I might. I gotta ask him, the baby. Yeah. The baby lets us. If the baby allows, allows for it. We will be here. taking everybody's calls.
0: We'll be here on Monday. Have a great weekend, everybody. We'll see you then. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only.